Welcome to another episode of Faithfully Podcast, the flagship podcast of Faithfully Magazine, owned and operated by Faithfully Media. I'm your host, Nicola A. Menzi, Managing Editor at FaithfullyMagazine.com. In this episode, we talk with children's author, Dorena Williamson. Williamson has written such books as Colorful, Celebrating the Colors God Gave Us, Thoughtful, Discovering the Unique Gifts in Each of Us, and Crowned with Glory, among a few other titles. Her newest book is Brown Baby Jesus, a 41-page picture book that, as the title implies, takes a new look at the nativity story. Welcome to Faithfully Podcast, Dorena. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, I'm so grateful to talk with you today, Nicola. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So obviously, you know, you're not just a children's author. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Dorena Williamson? Well, my adventure of writing children's books, which I actually call my midlife adventure, I'm probably aging myself in saying that, but the intent is to say that God gave me a whole new journey in the middle career of my life. And really, this came from the work I've done as a first lady of a multiracial church. This is our 27th year. And by the grace of God, we have, my husband and I have led our congregation and cultivated a space where we celebrate um, all the beautiful people that come together to worship God in our diversity and with the different cultural backgrounds that we have. Um, my writing really sources from the work that I do in our church. Um, that's really where it's been imagined. That's where I've been cheered on. That's where I've, you know, journeyed and wrestled with God with, you know, what I believe he's burdened my heart with and the tensions that I see in society. But I also wear a hat as a mama bear. And my books are also inspired out of the difficulty I had when my children were reading picture books and finding ones that reflected both our faith and gave them reflections that look like them. And now my kids are 18 to 28, but I'm still really passionate about the messages that young children get. And so I'm writing the kind of books I wish my kids had had when they were young. And um, I also wear another hat besides first lady and mom and author. I'm a stylist at a local store called Every, and it's a national brand. So I get to empower women. And that's a whole different lane than any of the other hats I wear. And it's really delightful to uh, switch gears and, uh, you know, help women find their trends and their styles for their body type. So um, lots of fun hats that I wear. And it just all sort of swirls together. And I saw, try to balance it out as best as I can. Wow, that sounds amazing. So you're first lady in author and you're a stylist. Yes. Wow. It's I can definitely see perhaps because you mentioned, you know, uh, with being an author, a lot of the stories, the inspiration come out of, you know, uh, your faith community. But uh, does the stylist part ever influence the writing part or maybe when you're, you know, partnering with an illustrator? Does that overlap at all? You know, it's such an interesting um, combination of hats. And I really like to say the hats that I wear because, you know, for those who are from the Black community, they know that First Lady is that honoring title that is given to, uh, you know, the wife of the pastor. And that's a part of the richness of our Black church traditions is that church was a place where we were celebrated, where we honored. And, and so, in thinking of myself as a first lady, I did think when I started out in my 20s that I needed to wear a hat and be kind of elevated every Sunday. <laughs> you had to have the look. <laughs> you had to, and the look that I the thought I had, look, right? the regal look, that's right. <laughs> and being a preacher's kid, I, I didn't mention that, but that's also an important part of my story. Um, my mom did dress up and wear the hats and the stockings and the heels. And I thought that that's kind of how I was supposed to walk it out. 
but I was pregnant with my second child. I had a toddler. So, you know, thinking of the practicality of that season of life, it really didn't lend to, you know, oh, let me go take my hat and my stockings off and go nurse my child. You know, it was just right. not quite very fluid. So I had to find my way. And so the styling really has complemented my my life as a first lady and an author, because this allowed me to be confident in, you know, arraying myself and, and giving God glory with the body that I have and the season of life that I have. And I know that's a journey for women of all ages, all seasons of life, um, accepting that the way God made us, we can rock our beauty. Um, and that did inspire, you know, my book crown with glory, but it really is a fun sort of way to, to wear different hats, but also, stay um, current and, and not feel like, you know, because I have adult children that they get the market on being stylish and well, I'm in that over 50 category. So I'm kind of headed downhill. I'm like, no, it's just getting started. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I understand that. That's very nice. Very nice. Um, So getting into Brown Baby Jesus, can you give us uh, the background to the inspiration for that? We can tell you're you're making a statement here. This Jesus is brown. And the description notes that you attempt to be, or the book is historically accurate. So what's the background to the inspiration of this story and, you know, why you felt you needed it to be, you know, so colorful, why the characters are different hues of brown? Yes, yes. Well, this story was really inspired. It's beautiful how God leads your life journey. Many years ago, my husband and I visited the Holy Land for the second time, and we visited a church in Nazareth called the Church of the Annunciation. And people can look that church up, but what really stood out to me was how different cultures portrayed Jesus. And so, you know, the Japanese portrayed him looking like them, you know, African countries portrayed him looking like them. And so, you know, when I say looking like them, I mean, in the hair texture, in the shape of the eyes and the, the, the melon um, or lack thereof of the skin. And as I looked back on those pictures, it struck me that that's really the epitome of that term we use in evangelicalism. When we call Jesus our personal savior. It felt very personal to me that all these different cultures saw him as one of them. And I think that's a beautiful way when we consider that Jesus as the Bible teaches us God in the flesh. And so, you know, we don't have pictures of what he looked like specifically, but, you know, when I've seen a lot of our current images of a blonde, very pale, blue-eyed Jesus, we know that that is certainly not historically accurate. And so reimagining him as a Middle Eastern brown baby um, with bushy hair, my hope in doing that is really to say to people who look like you and I that we belong, that we are part of his story, and that Jesus is not just someone for white people. As we also know in the Black community, there's been a lot of pain and people feeling like Christianity was, quote unquote, a white man's religion. And a lot of that came because the images that have dominated picture books, um, even paintings of Jesus around the world in churches, even in Black churches, have been a very pale, very white, Euro-centered Jesus. And so- um, Blue-haired Jesus, right? Yes. And it's like he gets blonder and, and, and more blue-eyed. And again, I'm not throwing shade on people who are creating the image of God with blonde hair and blue eyes. But what really sort of set this book in motion, Nicola, is a few years ago, a sweet little boy at our church, uh, he's a- African child, Ugandan specifically, and he uh, lives in a family with white parents. And he was frustrated telling his mom, you know, why are all the Jesuses white? And she suggested that 
you know, it kind of like, well, what do you think we should do about that? And he just said, I, I think Miss Dorina should write a book about a Jesus that's brown. And I love when people meet me and tell me, my kid thinks you should write a book about this or kids in church will say things like that. And it's such a, an honor for children to want to inspire you with ideas. But that one kind of took a place in my heart because I started thinking about that Israel trip and it just sort of all merged together after a while. And I thought, you know, it would be really amazing to give children a new nativity story, one that they could treasure all year round that features a Jesus that's brown, but that also, Nicola, really more importantly, really highlights the multicultural people in Jesus's story that we read about in Matthew, in Luke, um, and to set that story in Egypt, which I think is really unprecedented. So, you know, it, it takes that part of Jesus's story that we read in Matthew 2, and it just sort of brings it to life. So I had a lot of fun uh, creating it. And I hope that as people read it, that they will be inspired and some agitated seeing a brown Jesus, but that it will stick with them, that they will really consider um, who Jesus was and who he came to save. And the answer to that is he came from everyone because he came to save everyone. Yes, amazing. I want to ask briefly, because that's a common theme also through, I think, throughout all of your books. All of your books are multicultural and multi-ethnic in some sense. You see a variety of hues in the characters displayed. This one, I think it's the first time you've worked with this specific illustrator. So I'm wondering, how does that process work? Um, is this an illustrator? Uh, her name is Ronique Ellis. Is this someone you knew already? Uh, someone the publisher suggested to you? Like, how did you two connect? And how do you work so you feel satisfied, like the images accurately reflect what, you know, you hope to see? I'm grateful, let me say, for Waterbrook, the publisher of this book and the previous one, um, Crown with Glory. I'm really, really grateful for their intentionality and their open door for me to choose illustrator that I felt really did match my vision for the story. And I have to shout out my editor, Boomi, because we both felt that uh, portraying this book, it's not to say that someone who isn't of African descent could not have done that because great illustrators can illustrate anything. So I'm not saying that, but I think it was important for this story, for it to be a, a person of color. And, and so when we began to look at possibilities and there's all sorts of things that have to align, um, obviously there's a budget, but there's also a timetable and that's the most important piece. And I'm delighted, Nicola, to know that people of color in illustration who are good, they are booked and busy. So some of them are booked two and three and four years out. Oh, wow. Which is amazing, right? Yeah. So, you know, a nudge towards anyone who's listening who um, has artistic gifts, or maybe you have a child who loves to draw, and, you know, some of our parents are like, ah, I don't want them to pursue that. There's no money there. Uh, I would beg to differ because there's a lot of wonderful work yet to be put in the world um, with people who are gifted with that artistic gift. But um, as I per perused possible illustrators and looked at their portfolios and considered the timetables, um, Ronique just felt like a match. As I looked at the work that she had produced, it felt like she could portray these characters well. And so, you know, really I prepare some illustrator notes with the manuscript and then that is presented to her by my editor um, with notes of Dorina sees this spread with the family in the marketplace or this spread, we want to see them by the Nile River. Let me also add with this book, we wanted to make sure that it was accurate to the time, to first century Egypt, because that's the setting. So, you know, the illustrator would have to do a lot of research as we did in preparing the text to make sure that it looked like what 
first century Egypt actually looked like, not what we think or what we've seen on TV, because we know that portrayals on television are not always uh, accurate, (laughs) certainly not always biblically accurate and not also historically accurate. So a lot of care is taken with those details. The end result, I am so delighted. I've not actually held the book yet. Um, I should receive my copies in just a few weeks and it'll release September 20th. Just seeing the spreads and getting to look at them over and over. I am filled with joy at how Ronique not only interpreted the, the things that I specified, but even the liberties that she took with her own creative gift um, to really capture the vision and and prepare a work that I think will really bless families, not just at Christmas time, but all year round. Usually when, you know, we get the nativity story, the Christmas story, it, you know, follows all the the necessary steps, you know, the star, the wise men, et cetera. Um, but you take the the root of starting, I think, when Jesus is like a toddler, right? A couple years old. Correct. And then, you know, kind of his experiences and through daily life in Egypt with his parents thinking about, you know, who came before him, like you're pulling out Matthew first, I think, right, the genealogy list. Yes, yes. And I love how you, you know, you tie in like Rahab and Bathsheba and, you know, Solomon and Moses. Um, And it's just great. So the community of faith, but then also like how ancestry is important. And, you know, how God helped one person here leads to how, you know, he might work in your life down the road. So I thought that was beautiful. That's lovely. Thank you. So I'm wondering, though, how do you decide what's too much for your readers and how do you decide when you want to push the envelope a bit? Uh, But first, tell us, what is the target age group for Brown Baby Jesus? The targeted age group for this genre is ages four to eight. But I also like to put a little asterisk in there for the adults who are going to obviously be purchasing, because I don't think that this book is too lofty for toddlers. As we know, children who are pre-readers are able to point to pictures and they're able to learn as books are read to them, how to turn the pages, those early literacy building activities that that is why reading to young children is so powerful. So I certainly wouldn't want people to think that it's only for a certain age. You know, that's sort of the target for people to know when they're purchasing. But this book is rich, as you've already mentioned, with biblical narrative and biblical history, and the beauty of the people and the stories that make up Jesus's genealogy. But also because of the the unique uh, setting of Egypt and all of the people whose stories are included in Jesus's story, I hope that this is a book that adults, and, and my tagline, Nicole, is that I write children's books that adults need too. And my intent in that is I hope that adults will read this book and it will make them want to go back and read the biblical narrative of the early life of Jesus, as we learn in Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, you know, about Jesus's genealogy and the people who were a part of that story beyond Mary and Joseph, obviously the the leading roles um, alongside Jesus, but certainly the background people who were part of his story. So, you know, I hope that it will draw adults in as well. So really the the short answer is four to eight, but the, the big picture is families, people of all ages, I think would really enter into enjoying and learning through this story. But how do you know when to kind of push the envelope and, you know, when to pull back a bit for your younger readers? Because, you know, like I said, you can't give all the the noted details about Rahab or Bathsheba or, um, you know, Tamar. So how do you figure out what's enough for this young reader? Yes. Oh, that 
is also an amazing question. And I'm so glad that you asked that because I really give that a lot of thought. And in this story, as you've mentioned, we have Tamar, we have Bathsheba, we have Rahab, we have Ruth, and then Mary rounds out the five women who are part of Jesus's story. And I think it's really important for us to understand that God intentionally put each of those women, and of course, all the men, but I'm highlighting the women because they are the only five women mentioned in Jesus's genealogy. And historically, um, you know, genealogies didn't even include women's names. And so the, the reality of each of their names and that they represent a story. And in the case of all of them, you know, you look at, at Bathsheba being a prostitute. I think that that's something oh, that I think you she, misspoke there. You said Bathsheba was a I'm prostitute. I'm sorry, Rahab. Yes, Rahab. I'm sorry. You're right. Being a prostitute. I do think that is a subject that parents or caregivers should be the first to introduce to children. And there's a part of me that wishes we would unpack that at earlier ages. And the reason I say that is because over and over through scripture, it mentions that Rahab was a prostitute. We read that when we're introduced to her. We read that in the genealogy, Rahab the prostitute. We read that in Hebrews, Rahab the prostitute. So the fact that she was a prostitute stays connected to her name, not because we will forget, but I think it's because God wants us to understand who she was. And as my husband mentioned last week, in, in his sermon, he said, if someone's a, if someone is a prostitute and they're reading scripture and they see Rahab the prostitute, that's going to stand out to them. And I hope that will say to them that they belong, that there's a place for them, right? And we need to be reminded of that. Also, the reality of the life that she lived really is such a beautiful contrast to why Jesus came as the savior. He came to save and Rahab's faith was remarkable that this woman was a seeker after God while she lived in Jericho as a prostitute. And so I think their, their stories are uncomfortable, but I think that that's exactly why, not to assume why God, you know, who can know the mind of God. But when I think of God specifically, including a woman who prostituted, including Tamar, a woman who was widowed, we forget that before her um, encounter with Judah, that she was a widow you know, several times over. So she was a woman who mourned, who had lost and then, you know, tricked Judah. Now that's not to say what she did. We, you know, thumb up, but we look at her desperation, right? And that God met her in that and included her in Jesus's story. And again, Bathsheba, a woman who lost. We focus so much on, you know, David taking advantage of her and, you know, people want to romanticize that story, but this is a woman who lost, again, a husband, lost him to murder, you know, and God included her, comforted her. Scripture specifically says that she was comforted with Solomon and he was a child who God loved. And so again, difficult stories, but God included their stories. And I feel that that's so powerful. And and to your point, no, we're not going to unpack all of those things with children. But I hope as they read that, that they're, they're intrigued and that they go, okay, who is she again? And that families take the time to go have some Bible story around them, Bible study and, and look their stories up and then talk about in the way that they feel is appropriate. So I hope that connecting the dots. Ruth, another widow. I mean, you see this constant theme of women who had lost, women who mourned. And I think that there's something about them being a part of Jesus's story. You know, Mary, a teen mom who didn't expect, didn't ask to be impregnated with the son of God, but this was her holy assignment. So I hope that the part that I did share of their story is intriguing for children 
and even for adults who may not have the biblical literacy and may not know the details that I've just shared, that it will it will drive them to want to go learn more. And I will have done my job well if people want to go and read more of the Bible to learn more of um, the stories behind Jesus's story um, and consider their part in his story as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it will because I'm just hearing you talk about it and, you know, the individual women, I'm sure you had to take quite a deep dive back into stories you were already familiar with, I'm sure. But just for the sake of doing the research again, you had to take time and pause, I'm sure, with each of their story to decide at least what you wanted to pinpoint as really significant for your young readers to connect with. So yeah, again, lovely storytelling. And I love the illustration. I love the um, illustration, I think, near the back of the book, maybe it's the final page or so with the, you know, the family tree, in a sense, kind of laid out and the matching scriptures. Very beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I want to also, to your point about, um, I want to revisit the word count, that that is limiting, but that's also um, an opportunity to be very concise because, you know, it is a very small amount of words when you think, and this book actually we stretched, we stretched the word count. It's still a little more than what's typical for a, a picture book for this genre, but you know, we had to go over and over and figure out how, how do you share one woman's story that takes a book of the Bible, Ruth, basically, <laughs> yeah. capsule that into one spread. How do you just make a phrase or two about these people? And so that was a great challenge. And that's one of the reasons I love writing children's books is because it's a challenge to take, you know, such lofty topics and condense them into a form that children can take it in and, and a, a foundation can be laid. Um, So, you know, I usually ask authors to share if they have any forthcoming projects in the pipeline, but I did see on Amazon, you already have another title, uh, a book listed coming out next year titled, I Know Who I Am, A Joyful Affirmation of Your God-Given Identity. So what can we expect with that one? Well, I'm happy to see that it's on Amazon. I hadn't gone to check yet. So I'm so glad to know that it's up there. Yes. So that will be book three with Waterbrook. And that book, I just saw a few weeks ago, some of the final spreads and it's so joyful. I think what's unique about that book is I step outside of um, African-American culture and representation, which is, you know, Brown baby Jesus having a, a beautiful melanated Jesus and, and the characters are full of people of color. And then the previous Waterbrook book, Ground with Glory, which highlights the glory and the joy of Black girl hair. I Know Who I Am is a global celebration. And God's timing is so perfect, Nicola, because we're seeing more and more, you know, this, this growing white nationalist, you know, America is the best and the greatest and and all the things. And and honestly. We've seen that kind of shade happening for a long time. People just called it other things. My heart with that book is to say, God's glory shines on all the people of the world. And I want to be able to share that, but I can't do it alone. So I invited friends and um, you know, we invited people who represent all those different cultures to give us input and to affirm that each spread was 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 true to representation for them. And then I wanted to feature some countries that I personally love and that I don't think get enough representation. So, you know, I feature Haiti and Rwanda and there's a spread from India that I had my friend who's East Indian look over. I had um, my Filipina friend um, give us input on the spread with children who were in the Philippines. And so 
Um, so, you know, we feature European, but mostly, you know, African and Middle Eastern countries. There is a spread of the United States as well. But it just is a book that says for children, God's glory shines on all people. And it's a book that just is full of that, just declarations of God's truth for children to hold and to um, hopefully seed into their hearts from those young ages as they read it. And as they get older, that when some of the lies try to come in, that hopefully some of the truth that they've read from my book that drives them to the word of God will remind them of God's truth. And so I'm excited and prayerful that that will be something that's enjoyed far and wide. And then that our kids right here in our U.S. context will be reminded that we're grateful for the blessings that God has given us, but we are not the only or primary recipients and that God's glory shines on all people. And that's the truth of God's word. And I just believe in serving that up in the form of children's books. That's amazing. I'm looking forward to that one. Definitely needed right now. Uh, yes. You can say that. All right. So uh, any final word from you, any information you wanted to share with our viewers, our readers, either about your work or uh, just anything at all? Well, I, I'm really just grateful to get to share about Brown Baby Jesus. And I'm excited, you know, about a Christmas book that will be enjoyed uh, both during the holiday season and all year round. So I would really be grateful if your readers and listeners would support that. Um, but even beyond me, really for those who are coming behind me, who are also going to be producing this kind of work, I want to do what others before me have done. That is to help create ripe territory so that those coming behind me will have um, even less of a difficult time and that the market will demonstrate there are people who long for this. They are eating it up. It is selling like hotcakes. So let's produce more. And that's really how the publishing world works. And so I think in the faith community, we just need to remind people of that, that we support the things that we believe in and we need to fund that. Um, but it's not just for that author. It's for the continued work, right? Um, so I, I would just love for people to to support it. And please, if you buy it for kids in your life, please tag me in pictures. It brings me so much joy to see kids reading the books. And usually when I get affirmation that you're you're doing (laughs) it right. (laughs) It absolutely is. And we need that. I'll just be honest. I mean, we need to know that our work is is accomplishing what we've prayed over. You know, I spent so many hours researching and praying and doing Bible study. You know, I mean, if you see the commentaries and the history books out as you're writing a picture book. And so it's a labor of love. You know, often we call them our book babies, but they truly are, you know, cultivated and grown over a long period of time. And so I'm excited for it to release and um, excited for families to be enriched. All right. Well, Darina Williamson, author of Brown Baby Jesus, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you so much, Nicola. 